on the air. Today is Wednesday, November 10th, 2021 for today's installment of The Ock Show. I'm your host, Andy Yockham. Today, we've got a full slate of sports to talk about and, and go over. We're going to start off in the Major League Baseball. It's award season, so all the candidates have been announced. Winners will be picked within the coming weeks, so I'm gonna, we're going to go over the candidates. I'm going to make my predictions as to who I think should win based off that. Uh, one Cubs prospect in particular is making a lot of noise in the Arizona Fall League, so we're going to give him a shout-out as well to the National Football League. One-star wide receiver is now has cleared waivers and now officially a free agent. Talk about possible destinations for him. We're going to recap last week's slate and talk about some fantasy guys in my lineups that went off and didn't, and then we're going to preview this upcoming weekend's slate with the picks I made. And we have some referee controversy that I want to address as well. From there, college football, we're going to recap last week's action, preview this upcoming week's slate, same thing. However, new rankings came out from the college football committee last night, and they're utter garbage, so we're going to break that down as well. From there, college hoops picked up last night, so we're going to go briefly talk about the freshmen that made noise, and we're going to end the show off with some Chicago Bulls and Black Hawks talk. All of that and more is on this installment of The Ox Show, which starts right now. I'd like to thank you for tuning in for this week's installment, and, and let's just get right to it. So, award season in Major League Baseball. Uh, the both MVP awards will be announced November 18th at 6 Eastern. The Cy Young Awards for both leagues will be announced the 17th at 6 Eastern. Managers of the Year will be announced on the 16th at 6 Eastern. Rookie of the Year is on the 15th. So, and then there are also the Gold Glove Awards came out for the league. So, we're going to talk about all that. So, next week we will have all the award. We'll have all the winners. So, I think it's proper that we talk about the candidates kind of go through who I think should win and why and just kind of break down everyone's numbers and, and, and all that great stuff. So let's start in the American League as the candidates for this award are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the Toronto Blue Jays, Shohei Otani from the Los Angeles Angels, and Marcus Simeon from the Toronto Blue Jays. So two Blue Jays are making it into the MVP conversation. And ironically enough, I sadly do not think it'll be either one of them. And here's my thing with the American League MVP award. I think it should go to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But we're picking off realistically and what will probably happen and Shohei Otani having the amazing offensive year that he had on top of being able to pitch and, and perform at the level he did as well. I mean, it, it's going to be really hard to dethrone that. So I think we're going to, let's see, yeah, let's talk about Vlad's, we'll go Vlad. Well, we're going to talk about stats and stuff. Vlad Jr. this year. In 640 Bs, he had 311, 48 bombs, 111 RBIs, and four stolen bases. That's incredible. I mean, just the hitting from a hitting perspective, 48 bombs, 111 RBIs. He hit more bombs than Otani, had a way higher batting average. 
and also batted in more runs. So yes, I mean, right there, if it, if Shohei Otani didn't know how to pitch, then I mean, this is a runaway award for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But with Otani's ability to pitch and pitch at a pretty high level, it, it really kind of hurts him in that aspect. And I mean, it, it, it hurts to see, you know, you want, I, I, I think the best player should rightfully win the award. And that's no, no knock on Marcus Simeon who had a great year as well. And he's fun to watch. And man, when we we're going to do free agent predictions in the coming weeks, he is going to make a lot of money. I, I would like to see him back in Toronto. I feel like that's a fun group to watch with guys like him. I want him and Robbie Ray back there. I don't know how likely that is to happen. Um, this past season for Simeon, I mean, his numbers, he's no, no slouch either. I mean, he had 145 homers, 265 average, 102 RBIs. I mean, he played well, but I just think from an offense, offensive perspective, I mean, far and away, Vlad Jr. blows everyone out of the water. But sadly, Vlad doesn't know how to pitch. You know, I mean, if we look at their war, show it's just the war. Shohei Otani's war is nine, Simeon's is 7.2, and Vlad actually has the lowest war of the group at, at 6.8. So, I think in that aspect, the war, this, the war stat, him having a low a low war, really, really hurts him. And it's a real shame to see because he had an awesome season. And I think if, if Shohei Otani didn't exist, then yes, 100%, he would run away with it. But he's not going to, which it, it, it sucks, if I'm being honest. I mean, I think in the National League, it's more of a clear cut who's going to win it. And I don't know. It's it's. I think it's clear cut in both leagues. But you could actually make an argument in the American League for Vladdy. You really can't for Shohei. I think if I can gather, I'm on his Baseball Reference Shohei. If I can find his pitching stats, standard pitching. There we go. I mean, this year, 2020. I mean, he threw 130 innings. His ERA was three. You know, he he had over a 3.1. Eight. He had over three RA with fifty six punch outs. I mean, I it, it's just tough. But at the same time, he had a he had a really good whip. Of, he had a one whip ERA plus at a one forty one. I mean, those are good stats. And I think just because he's the dual threat, that really elevates himself over everyone else in that discussion. So. I'm going to take Shohei Otani, regretfully, to win the American League MVP. National League, we got Bryce Harper from the uh, Washington Nationals. Uh, Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies, Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals, and Fernando Tatis from the San Diego Padres. Now, you can make cases for a lot for any of these three, but I think far and away... I got to give this MVP, oh man, the war stat. I, I'm looking at war now, and it's really throwing me through a loop. <sighs> I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to compare ABs too. Ooh, I don't think it's Nando. This isn't Fernando's year to win it. He had a war of a 6.5 and 478 Bs, uh, 135 hits, 42 homers, a 282 average. Uh, he had significantly less at-bats than the other two candidates with less than 100 runs driven in at 97. Did have 25 stolen bases, though. Uh, my knock on Fernando is he got hurt a couple times this season, and then when he was healthy, I mean, I had him on my fantasy baseball team, so if anyone kind of was able to to get a rough estimate of his performance, I, I think I'd be a pretty good person to talk to. Um, 
he had a his strikeout percentage was a twenty eight percent. I want to see what the other two candidates' strikeout percentages were. Fourteen uh, percent for Soto, and I feel like Harper. I also had Harper on my fantasy baseball team this year as well. Twenty two percent. So yeah, I mean, it's not Nando, but he had a great season. But the it's the mixture of the injuries and the strikeout rate. I originally coming into this podcast was going to go Bryce Harper runaway, but now that I'm looking at Soto's stats and I'll compare the two. This might be Juan Soto, man. I, 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 I've got a feeling this is Juan Soto's award to lose at this point. And I mean, you can make that. I would not be surprised if it's Soto or Harper. It's not going to be Tatis. I'm putting that out there right now. Soto this season, a war of a seven. He had 502 at bats, 157 RBIs, 29 homers, 300, uh, 3.13 batting average or 0.313 batting average, 95 RBIs, nine stolen bases. Bryce Harper, on the other hand, his war is he's. 1.1 points lower in the war. He's got a 5.9 war, uh, 488 at-bats, 151 hits, but he's got way more homers, 35 homers, and a 309 average, pretty comparable, way less RBIs, two at 84. And people why the people are thinking, why are you looking at the war stats so much? Well, I, a war is becoming a pretty good stat for judging how valuable a player is to a specific team. It's wins above replacement. And honestly, just from a statistical perspective, he had more at-bats, too. I'm going to take Juan Soto to win the National League MVP. However, I would not be surprised if it was Bryce Harper. And keep it, keeping this in mind, I came into this podcast thinking, oh, this is Bryce Harper's award. So I have Juan Soto winning the National League MVP in what will be a tighter race, even though I think out of the six candidates from both leagues, I think the two best candidates are in the same league. Otani and Guerrero. I think Vlad is the best MVP candidate. He just happens to be in the same side of the the coin as Shohei, which you know it's kind of a a rough beat against him. But so right now, yeah, I'm gonna go with Juan Soto for the National League MVP. And I think I didn't think coming in, but then when I got to look at his Baseball Reference page, I, that really turned things around for me. We're going to go to the American League Cy Young Award winner. Our candidates are Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees, uh, Lance Lynn from the Chicago White Sox, Robbie Ray from the Toronto Blue Jays. This one's tough, and I'm, I hate to say this, bias aside, even though he has the lowest ERA, I'm going to eliminate Lance Lynn from the conversation. He had a couple rough starts toward the back end, and I think his lack of innings his ERA is lower because he has less innings than the other two candidates, which is not a knock on Lance. He actually got hurt. But I just don't I'll, – I'll break it down. He had a 5.4 war, 11 wins, 6 losses, a 2.69 ERA, and 28 starts with a 157 innings pitched, 176 strikeouts, and a 1.07 win. It's a good season. We look at Garrett Cole. He had a 5.7 war, so three points higher than – or 0.3 points higher than Lance Lynn, 16 and 8 with a 3-2-3. He's got the highest ERA of all the candidates, and only 30 games started, 181 innings, 243 strikeouts, and a 105 whip. We look at Robbie Ray from the Toronto Blue Jays, who's a free agent this year and should make pretty good money. A 6.6 war, so he has a war way higher than everyone else. He's got more innings pitched in 193. He's got the most strikeouts in 248. And he actually has the no, the second lowest ERA. He's got a lower ERA than Garrett Cole at 284. 13 wins, 7 losses, and 32 starts. He made more starts than everyone, which is also impressive. And his whip is lower than everyone. 
So I think by those numbers, I'm going to take Robbie Ray to win the Cy Young from the Toronto Blue Jays. He's going to he's going to avenge the losses of Simeon and Vlad in the AL MVP discussion. I think Robbie Ray's going to going to take the American League Cy Young award. That's my that is my prediction for that. But all three guys had great seasons, and I, I think the pitching ones pitching races are going to be a little closer, especially the National League. I mean, I'm a little. The fan in me is a little irritated with the National League. So the, the candidates for National League Cy Young, we're going we're gonna to shift gears. Um, we got Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Zach Wheeler from the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and Max Scherzer from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, this one's this hurts, and I'll tell you why. Um Obviously, I'm a huge, for those of you who don't know, uh, aren't listeners, constant listeners to the pod, I'm a huge Walker Bueller fan. And it pains me that Walker didn't make the, the list, but it's understanding. These three dudes had amazing seasons. And I'm not looking at this list. I apologize. I probably should have gone from rookie to manager to Cy Young to MVP. But hey, you know what? You guys got the, you guys got the good end of the the stick first. Um, let's break down the, the NL Cy Young candidates. I'm not going to lie. This one, I have no idea. So I, I, it's going to go right off the numbers for me. That kind of everything else has. Uh, Corbin Burns had a 5.7 war, 11 wins, 5 losses, 2-4-3. Very impressive ERA. I will say the guys in the National League, ERAs are, every single one of them, significantly lower than, at least Burns and Scherzer have lower ERAs than any of the American League Cy Young candidates. Uh, Burns made 28 starts, had 167 innings pitched, 234 strikeouts, and a .94 whip, which is ridiculous. Max Scherzer, 5.3 war. So now it's high of a war. 15 wins, four losses, and that's with two teams. That was with a Nationals team that was not very talented this season. 30 starts, 179 innings pitched, 236 strikeouts, and a .864 whip, which is ridiculous. That was over the course of 30 starts. Now we go to Zach Wheeler, who's had two extra starts to his name compared to the rest of his competitors. And he's had he yeah, he's got a 213 innings pitched. The other two aren't even sniffing 200 innings. 7.7 WAR, which is by and large, I mean Scherzer, it's a 5.3 WAR. He's got over two points higher than any other NL signing candidates. 14 and 10, 200, 2780 RA, 213 innings, 247 strikeouts, with a 1.008 WHIP. Now, I get that he's got more innings pitched, so his numbers don't look as inflated. But I'm I'm looking at Max Scherzer right now. Wheeler only had 11 more punchouts in 30 plus more innings pitched. I'm looking at Scherzer right now, a 2.46 ERA with a .864 WHIP, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think I'm gonna have to roll. This will be his fourth Cy Young award, and I'm gonna give it to Max Scherzer from the Los Angeles Dodgers, now a free agent. That is going to be my pick to win the National League Cy Young Award for this season. I don't. Who would I pick to be a runner-up? Probably Zach Wheeler. And this is not a knock on Corbin Burns. He had a great season. I just think Wheeler, for how much more he pitched, his numbers are extremely impressive. It's tough. All three of these guys had outstanding seasons. I mean... They come down to three candidates for a reason, you know? And I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll with Scherzer. So right now, up to this point, we have um, 
we are rocking with NL MVP Juan Soto, AL MVP Shohei Otani, AL Cy Young Robbie Ray, NL Cy Young Max Scherzer. I'm going to be really interested next week when we're on here to see how well I really did. Now, we're going to roll with uh, American League Cy Young, or not American League Cy Young, I wish, American League Rookie of the Year. We have Randy Rosarena, outfielder from the Tampa Rays, Wander Franco, shortstop of the Tampa Rays, and Luis Garcia, right-handed pitcher for the Houston Astros. I'm a little confused on this one, and it's tough to judge. Wander Franco has half the amount of at-bats as a Rosarena. Franco got called up pretty late, or he hasn't called up early in the season. So... I don't know how he's rookie eligible for this year. He must have barely made the cut. And I think with that being said, I'm going to automatically rule Wander out. I mean, he's super talented. I'm not going to knock him. If I'm going to be honest, I mean, this is a pretty easy one for me. I'm going to roll with Randy Rosarena. He had over 500 at-bats, 20 homers, 274 batting average, uh, 69 RBIs, 20 stolen bases. He literally did it all this season. And he has the highest war of any of these candidates. Um, we have Luis Garcia with a 2 5 war, um, an 11 80 RA, or 11, 11 8 record, 2 4 8 RA, which really doesn't jump out on the paper over 155 innings. He did make 28 starts, which is a lot for a rookie. 167 strikeouts and a 117 whip. I mean, that does just compare to, you can't really, it's hard to compare a pitcher and an offensive player, but I think just. Overall, Randy just by by large had the better season. I mean, we'll break down Wander's stats right now, but there's not much to talk about because of how little. I, I still don't know how he qualified for this. Uh, he had a 3-5 war. I think it should have been. Actually, he, Luis Robert got hurt too, so he might be on the ballot next year. Three 3.5 war, over 281 at-bats. So he had about half the amount of at-bats that Rosarena did. And Randy got hurt, had COVID this season as well. Seven homers, 288 average, uh, 39 RBIs, two stolen bases. This just isn't a large enough sample size for me. If he kept this trend up throughout the season, I would take him by a landslide, but it didn't. So with that, I have to take him out. And then Luis Garcia's numbers, I mean, he, he had a good rookie season. He pitched really well in the playoffs, but I can't judge this enough. He, he just didn't do anything enough to stand out to win this award. So I think for that reason, I'm going to have to give it to Randy. And it's not like by default, Randy Rosarena had – a really good season but I just think at the end of the day that has to be that has to be the call that gets made there so that's my pick Randy Rosarena of the Tampa Bay Rays to win the AL rookie of the year now we're going to dive into the NL rookie of the year our candidates are Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins, Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds, and Dylan Carlson of the St. Louis Cardinals. I'd like to come out here and say Patrick Wisdom got robbed of a candidacy. He wouldn't have won it, but he should have been a candidate over a Cardinal Dylan Carlson. Um, I'm going to, right off the bat, I, I haven't looked at the stats yet. If Dylan Carlson's stats load. I guess we're just going to look at India's and Rogers for now. Is my internet is being fun. Uh, Jonathan India had an outstanding rookie season. He had a 3.9 war, 532 at-bats, a 21 homers, 269 batting average. He, um, what else did he do? Uh, 12 stolen bases, a slugging of uh, 489, 
OPS plus of 113. I mean, this dude is just fun to watch. And I feel like toward the end of the season, every time you turn down the Reds, you were seeing Jonathan India hit a home run or doing something cool and and just unthinkable for a rookie. And he really stood out. I think this was a pretty tight race throughout the first half of the season. I think you made your case for these three guys, plus a guy like Patrick Wisdom. But I think it was the back half of the season that really separated Jonathan India. Uh, Trevor Rogers had a three three point three WAR, a seven and eight record, a two six four ERA, and twenty five starts, a one one five WHIP, one hundred fifty seven punchouts, one hundred thirty three innings. Good season. It just doesn't jump out on the page at me. And then Dylan Carlson had a, a three point two WAR, two sixty six batting average, uh, eighteen homers. He had more at bats than Jonathan India, sixty five RBIs, two stolen bases. Did have a higher OPS plus, but I think just based on because of how tight this this race was super tight probably for the first 70% of the season, that last 30%, the last two, three months, like two and a half months was really what made the difference in this race for me. I'm, I'm taking Jonathan India from, from the Cincinnati Reds to win the National League Rookie of the Year award. All right, managers of the year. We have Dusty Baker of Houston, Kevin Cash of Toronto, and Scott Service of Seattle. I, this is pretty easy for me. I'm taking Scott Service. I mean... What Seattle, and I'm not going to discredit Dusty, but Houston was as powerful of a team as they came this past season. And Kevin Cash, I mean, Tampa Bay, they didn't really do anything. They won their division, won 100 games, but they didn't do any. I mean, I guess this is a regular season award. I think you have to look at what Scott Service did with Seattle. He made the Seattle Mariners a 90-win team and a fun team to watch. They were in it in the last week of the season. I think for that reason, there's a lot to look forward to there. I'm going to take Scott Service of Seattle as the manager of the year for the American League. National League manager. This is tough because I don't like any of these guys, just for certain reasons. There's Craig Council of the Brewers. I'm not a Brewers guy. I'm a Cubs fan, so I hate the Brewers, and I don't like Craig Council. Mike Schilt, former St. Louis Cardinal manager. Obviously, Cubs and Cardinals are extremely, extremely bad rivals. And then there's Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants, who... I'm not particularly fond of his managerial styles, and I don't think he's as good of, as a manager as people are giving him credit for. With that being said, I think Gabe Kapler has to win the manager of the year in the National League. Now, I get what Mike Schilt did in the regular season, that 17-game winning streak to help them get into the wildcard game, but I think you have to consider this factor. Even that wasn't enough to keep his job. There's clearly something wrong there. And I mean, Craig Council, I mean, yeah, the Brewers won 95 games, but they got bounced in the first round. I mean, it's nothing new. That happens every year with the Brewers. I think Gabe Kapler, this Giants team had a less than 3% chance at the beginning of the season, according to Pakoda, to make these playoffs. They not only made the playoffs, they won their division outright. And they took the Los Angeles Dodgers to five games and arguably what was a terrible call. It was not arguably, it was a terrible call to end that series. They won 107 games in the regular season. I think that stands out enough for the talent they had on their roster, a bunch of old, washed-up dudes. They all connected, they all united, and had an outstanding season. I'm taking Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants to win the Manager of the Year award. So let's recap. We have American League MVP Shohei Otani, National League MVP Juan Soto, AL Cy Young Robbie Ray, NL Cy Young Max Scherzer, American League Rookie of the Year is Randy Rosarena, National League Rookie of the Year Jonathan India, Manager of the Year in the American League, Scott Service of Seattle, and Gabe Kapler of San Fran will win from the Giants. So there's eight awards. It'll be real interesting to see how many I get right. We'll reflect on it on next week's show. People are going to be listening this year thinking, man, this guy's a genius, or what is this dude talking about? So uh, from there, Gold Glove Awards. Uh, the Silver Slugger Awards are being actually announced tomorrow night, so we'll talk about those next week as well. Um 
Yeah, I mean, we can just go through it. The American League, uh, Sean Murphy, catcher of the A's. Yuli Gurriel at first base from the Astros. Uh, Simeon, Marcus Simeon, second base from Toronto. Matt Chapman, third base from the A's. Shortstop, Carlos Correa from Houston. The outfield, the Royals get two. Andrew Benatendi from, obviously, the Royals. And then Michael A. Taylor. Joey Gallo, right field from the Yankees. And Dallas Keuchel from the White Sox. I think the Keuchel one's hilarious. He obviously had a really bad season and, and not a lot of um, – White Sox fans are super fond of the guy. They're really happy he's on his way out of town, so I find that kind of funny. I don't really have any arguments with this list. Um, I saw Joey Gallo. I was like, that was interesting. But there was a lot of plays I would see throughout social media on Twitter, Instagram, and all that this year where he was hosing dudes left and right from the outfield. I think everyone on this list is is pretty accurate. Um, the National League is filled with Cardinals on the infield. Uh, Jacob Stallings is catching from the Pirates. And then Goldschmidt, Edmund, and Arenado, all from the Cardinals win. And, and I, I think that's the right call. I mean, obviously, I would see the Cubs lose to the Cardinals a lot this year, and, and I always feel like anything hit on the ground in the infield, it was an automatic out. Like, those three guys in particular all did a fantastic job. I feel like if they had a consistent shortstop, there'd be a different story. Uh, Brandon Crawford from the Giants, however, won at shortstop. And I actually, now I take that statement back. Crawford is insanely talented on defense, and it's pretty hard to beat a guy like that. Then to the outfield, right field, you got Adam Duvall from the Braves and Max Fried pitching from the Braves. And there's two more Cardinals in the outfield, Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader. I don't disagree with either one of these guys. Bader's flying around the outfield for as much as I don't like the guy. He makes plays, and he, he's a very flashy player, and he makes the game look fun. So those are your those are the gold glove winners from this past season. And we have one signing and one player going off to talk about before we – venture on to our long-winded football talk for the week. Um, the Andrew, the Los Angeles Dodgers signed Andrew Heaney to a one-year $8.5 million deal. I find this interesting. Andrew Heaney had a really bad season last year. I, I don't think there's really no sugarcoating that. Um, and I, this is an interesting move. Obviously, you're going to sign – you're not going to sign Heaney. I mean, I don't know why you would sign Heaney in general, with all due respect. Um to just sit out in the bullpen for that much money. They have the intention to start him, so I don't know if this is a move. Are they really going to let Clayton Kershaw go? I mean, you look at what they have right now, or maybe Scherzer's not coming back. You know, they have Walker Buehler, Julio Urias. Uh, they're hoping Dustin Mayo come back from Tommy John, so there's at least three right there. I, I guess you're rolling with Heaney as your five, so he's in there as well. So, that I mean, unless you want to get a six-man rotation going or you want Urias or May out of the bullpen, it, it's looking like they're going to head to side between Scherzer and Kershaw ultimately. We'll talk about Trevor Bauer, but obviously there's that whole thing going on. So we don't really know, but I felt like that was an interesting signing. And we'll see what dominoes that touches. As I mentioned in, in the coming weeks, probably not for a little while, though, because the dominoes for free agency probably won't get going until at least December, around the winter meetings at the very earliest, is when we'll we'll kind of address that more. Um, We are – oh, last thing, baseball. Um. Just go on Twitter, follow Cubs prospects, obviously, because the team's in the toilet. Um, Nelson Velasquez, uh, catching prospect, broke the top 30 this year. He's around double-A level. The dude is having a field day at the Arizona Fall League right now, and that gets me really excited. I mean, I hope they don't move Wilson seeing this, but, man, dude, Nelson Velasquez is having himself an Arizona Fall League season, and it's amazing to see guys like this just emerge out of nowhere. Those are the best prospects in the system. Obviously, you love the high-touted ones who you know are going to be superstars, but I feel like the best ones are the guys that are the diamonds in the rough that come out of nowhere because that's all props to the scouting team. You find guys like that. Wilson Contreras was a guy like that. So that's awesome to see from Velasquez. I, I don't want to move Willie. 
it, I don't care who we have in our system. I don't trust Miguel Amaya. He's been injury ridden and his numbers in the minors haven't been amazing. He's still a top, top quality prospect. You could definitely ship him off as a trade ship long term. I mean, I want it to be Wilson Contreras, but I think in this league, we've learned that catchers get beat up so bad throughout the course of the season. You need a backup that's capable if needed of starting possibly two games a week and not being able to trip and not trip and fall on his own face. So I think having maybe a Contreras and Velasquez combo in the future would be super nice, but it's really awesome to see this guy making strides in the fall league. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to be doing at Tennessee this year. And I'm, I'm really hoping he gets the call up to Iowa around midsummer next year. So shout out Nelson Velasquez down at the fall league. So, all right, it's baseball talk for the week. Let's jump in on some football. And before we do the, um, the week of picks, or reflecting on last week's picks. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. has been freed from the Cleveland Browns, officially cleared waivers. He's now a free agent. He can sign with anyone he wants. People are saying this is long overdue, and I agree. I think he's a talented player, and I, Cleveland wasn't using him. So it's kind of like the Bears with Allen Robinson, but just not as to an extremely level because the Browns are an actual good team, so that actually stands out to the media more. The Bears stink, so that doesn't stand out to anyone outside of Chicago as much. Um, I've seen some teams interested, particularly um, the top two of the top landing spots I've seen have been uh, the Packers and the Saints. And I don't necessarily know if this is a guy I would want in my locker room. I mean, he's a talented player, but you don't really know what you're getting at him. And he does, he is a little devious. He does have an attitude. Um, another team is Seattle that have, that has come out, and I, I Seattle's a question mark because they already have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, I guess if they want to have a deep wide receiver room, go for it. I think the top team that stands out. So there's actually three. It would be Seattle, the Green Bay Packers, and then this New Orleans Saints. I think the New Orleans Saints are it, that's the destination he has to go to. Michael Thomas is not coming back this year. Their wide receiver room right now consists of Damian Harris and I think it's Damian Harris and Marquez Callaway, and they had to sign Mark Ingram so they could use Alvin Kamara as a pass catcher more, and they don't really have any tight ends that stand out. They have Adam Troutman, and he hasn't really done much. So I think New Orleans is the place Odell really desperately needs to go to. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see if a move is made anytime in the near future, but yeah, my, my, my pick would be the New Orleans Saints for Odell Beckham. Uh, let's see next week. This or Last week's Let's break down the picks. Colts, Jets, Thursday night football. Colts 45-30 to 30 over the Jets. I think this was expected, but I didn't think – I think the deficit was was expected. A 15-point victory for the Colts sounds about right. But I just didn't think I, – I, not a lot of America thought this would be that high scoring of a game. And I think it was the game – the score appears closer than it seemed. The Colts really just kind of let off the gas at the end. Um, Carson Wentz, really good game, 22 of 30 in the air, three touchdowns for 272 yards. Jonathan Taylor, 19 carries on the ground for 172 yards and two touchdowns. And Michael Pittman, five catches for 64 yards and a touchdown. And then with the Jets, pretty sound on offense. Elijah Moore probably was the top performer with seven grabs, 84 yards and two touchdowns. Colts defense did a great job stifling that run game. And the legend of Mike White, he actually got hurt after the second drive of the game. So veteran journeyman Josh Johnson came into the game. And actually looks pretty good. 27-41. He threw for over 300 yards. 317 yards in the air. Three touchdowns and a pick that ended up sealing the game. Um, it was pretty much expected, but it, it was cool to see a veteran journeyman like Josh Johnson make his way in there and, and have a pretty good game for himself. 
Saints, Falcons, uh, 27-25. I had the Colts for seven in that last game, uh, confidence pool-wise. Uh, I had eight on the Saints, and they lost 27-25 to the Falcons. I still cannot get a grip on this Saints team for the life of me. They go out, and they beat the Bucks in the previous week, who have all their weapons in the world, and then they come out and fall flat to the, the Atlanta Falcons at home of all teams. Cordero Patterson had another great game, doing everything and anything. Uh in the air and on the ground, he had nine carries for 10 yards, whatever. But in the air, six grabs, 126 yards. Matt Ryan looked pretty solid. Didn't throw a pick. 23 of 30 in completions, and he threw for 343 yards. Uh, Alvin Kamara was kept pretty quiet. 13 carries for 50 yards on the ground. He did have a rushing touchdown. And in the air, four grabs for 54 yards. Not a bad fantasy performance. And Trevor Simeon didn't look too bad either. This was just kind of the Saints defense kind of falling all over themselves and not really having a firm grip on this one. Uh, next one, surprise game of the week. I had 16 on the Bills, and that obviously tanked. Jaguars, 9. Bills, 6. This was the Josh Allen game. And, and if I'm being honest, I kind of got annoyed at how much social media shoved the Josh Allen on Josh Allen stuff down our throats. Um, so for people who don't, obviously, the Bills have all-star quarterback Josh Allen. But a year later, after he was drafted with the 7th overall pick, the Jags took a defensive end out of the University of Kentucky by the name of Josh Allen. They're like, oh, Josh Allen's playing against Josh Allen today. Uh, get a load of this. Imagine how the announcers and all the social media people reacted when Jaguars Josh Allen sacked Buffalo's Josh Allen, and then when he intercepted Josh Allen, and when he forced a fumble from Josh Allen. I, I swear it was the only thing I saw on my social media page, but hey, shout out to Jacksonville. That defense, I think this brings a lot of question to Buffalo's offense, and, and it really hurts Devon Diggs in fantasy, if I'm being honest. Uh, he had six grabs for 85 yards, so he had about 14 and a half, 15 points, which isn't awful. But, man, the running game was nothing. Their leading rusher was Josh Allen for Buffalo. Um, in the air, he looked lost. Uh, 31 of 47, no touchdowns, 264 yards, and two picks. He got sacked four times. That offense just looked all out of sorts. And the funny thing is there were no touchdowns scored in this game. Uh, so I can't really talk much. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, 15 of 26, 118 yards. That's not really that amazing. And on the ground, Carlos Hyde, they didn't have James Robinson. Uh, 21 carries for 67 yards. I mean, there's really nothing to write home about about anything from these offenses. I mean, if anything, it's shout-out Tyler Bass and Matthew Wright for scoring all the points in, in the defense. It's a total of 15 points scored in this game. But this is the shocker of the week and, and probably the season as well, Jaguars over Buffalo. Next one, I had the Bengals for four, my low pick of the week. I, I didn't really know how this game was going to go against the Browns. Browns win 41-16 in their first game without Odell, and, and this really proves the Browns never used Odell Beckham. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 14-21 in the air for 218 yards and two touchdowns. I think the story of this offense for this game was Nick Chubb. Uh, 14 carries for 137 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and then on the defensive side, they, they just they looked really solid. And, and I don't really know. They had two interceptions on Joe Burrow, one for a touchdown, a pick six of 99 yards by Denzel Ward. I don't really know what to make of this Cincinnati team. They've lost back-to-back weeks now. Joe Burrow looked awful in this game, 28 of 40, 282 yards and two picks. Joe Mixon had a solid fantasy game at the very least. Jamar Chase didn't look good. I it, I don't know who Cincinnati has this week or if they play this week. I made my picks, but I'm, I don't remember the schedule off the top of my head. They play, yes, or no, they have their bye this week, and it's probably a good thing. Two tough losses. They get the Raiders in a couple weeks, which is a very winnable game for them. I think they, those two teams match up pretty well. But much needed by week coming up for Cincinnati and a very disappointing loss at home. 
Uh, this next one was also very shocking. Um, at home, the Cowboys lose to Denver 30-16. to And don't let the score fool you. Broncos were up 30 at 30 nothing, and late in the fourth quarter, Dak Prescott padded, stat padded a couple late cor- late uh, late fourth quarter touchdowns. Man, th- it was a weird noon game in in Dallas. You usually don't see those. They usually play mid afternoon down there in Arlington. Um, I think the story from offense perspective, he didn't score a touchdown, but rookie running back Javante Williams, seventeen carries for one hundred eleven yards. He's really come into his own. He got out touched in this game, and he still played better than Melvin Gordon, in my opinion. Um, I mean, as a Javante Williams fantasy owner, I really want him to start emerging. But I think after this season, when Melvin Gordon's contract is up, this is Javante Williams' backfield. And I think next year for fantasy football players and for Broncos fans in general, he's a very talented runner. And I think there's a lot to look forward to there. But yeah, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater didn't do anything to, he just didn't make any mistakes. And I think that was key. The defense was outstanding. Um, And they just, they did everything they needed to do against Dak. I mean, I can go to the Cowboys stats. Um, Zeke Elliott got shut down by this defense. This defense did a very good job. 10 carries of 51 yards. I mean, you look at Prescott's stats, I mean, 19 of 39 in the area from completion percentage. It's a pretty awful look. He threw for two touchdowns, which were both toward the end. And he threw a really bad interception, which made, which pretty much put the game on ice. Um, just not super impressed with Dallas, but I think every team, every good team has their bad wins throughout the season. I think that was just one of those for Dallas, but a really good one for Denver, especially the week after they traded Von Miller. Next up, Dolphins, Texans, the Tank Bowl, uh, battle the two one and seven teams. Miami's able to come out victorious, seventeen to nine. And, and no offense, I would really hope so. The uh, the Texans did have Terod Taylor back this week, but he looked abysmal. Twenty fourth, forty three in the air, no no touchdowns, three picks, two hundred forty yards. They had no sort of ground game. They just Houston did nothing against this this Miami team. Miami was without Tua again. Jacoby Brissett did not play great either. 26 of 43 in the air, 244 yards, one touchdown, two picks. This wasn't a game of this was this was a game of who's gonna make less mistakes. And that was Miami. 19-7 is a pretty, pretty perfect fitting score for the two teams that played this football game. I had four on the Dolphins. Or six on the Dolphins, so we're back. Uh Raiders, Giants. I lost this one. I had nine on the Raiders. I could see this happening, but I didn't think it actually was going to. Um Giants are now three and six. Raiders are five and three. Raiders are very similar to Cincinnati. They're in the Cincinnati and, and New Orleans bubble for me. Can't really get a firm grasp on who they are. They they come out and beat good teams, but then they also lose to teams they have no business losing to. Derek Carr did not play great. Thirty of forty six in the air for two hundred ninety six yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Nothing really else exciting that jumps off the page for the offenses. And Daniel Jones, I mean, neither one. It was this was a very defense heavy game. Fifteen to twenty in the air for Danny Dimes, hundred and ten yards and a touchdown. It, it wasn't anything special. Um, we saw more defensive touchdowns than anything in this one, and it was a pretty ugly, typical New York Giant football game. I went on a good stretch here. I got three double digit point wins. Ravens, I had thirteen on him, thirty four, thirty one, a comeback victory over the Vikings. Man, I, I don't feel bad for Vikings fans because I don't like the Vikings, but they Mike Zimmer really needs to go. They had a really they had a firm they had this game put away. And they left Baltimore, they they're six and two, but they have come back into games. They have almost lost to two NFC North opponents they shouldn't have lost to. The Lions especially, but Minnesota too. I don't think Minnesota's that great, but they could at least be a little better if they had a competent head coach. But then again, my favorite team's coach is Matt Nagy, so they really don't have much room to be talking. 
Kirk Cousins, 17 to 28 in the air for two touchdowns. Didn't throw a pick. Dalvin Cook, 17 carries for 110 yards on the ground. Jefferson, three catches, 69 yards, and three touchdowns. Or not three touchdowns, one touchdown. Um, the Baltimore offense, three guys in particular stand out. Obviously, Lamar, 27-41 for 266 yards. The three touchdowns looks good. The two picks doesn't really as much. Um, Lamar, he, but the one thing that Lamar did that, that really put himself set himself apart, 21 carries on the ground for 120 yards, and then his favorite target, Marquise Brown, with nine grabs for 116. Big comeback victory. Game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker in overtime. Uh, next up, I got the Patriots for 15. This was this was a mortal lock, especially after I found out. Actually, Sam Darnold played this game, but I think Sam Darnold playing this game made it even more of a lock. He was picked off three times, and the Patriots' defense looked very good. No sort of highlights. Christian McCaffrey couldn't get anything done against this Patriots' defense. Um, Mac Jones only threw 18 passes because that's all they had to do. They ran the ball 39 times. No really standouts. I think the MVP of this game goes to the New England defense. 24-6 New England. Next one, I had 11 on the Chargers. This was a very good game that really came down. This came down to the end. Uh, Justin Herbert, any of you Justin Herbert fantasy owners, you got to celebrate. He had an outstanding day. 32 of 38 in the air, only six incompletions with over 350 yards. Passing at two touchdowns, no picks. And then on the ground, he added in five carries for uh, 14 yards and a touchdown to go on top of that. Top receiver for the Chargers, Keenan Allen, at 12 grabs for 104 yards. Very good day. Herbert had all the touchdowns for the team. Uh, Philly, uh, Jalen Hurts, 11 of 17, 162 yards and a touchdown pass. Top rusher was Jordan Howard, former Chicago Bear and Indiana Hoosier, 17 carries for 71 yards. And that the top receiver was Devonta Smith, five grabs for 116 yards. I, I, I don't. I guess I don't watch enough Eagles football. But Eagles fans, is is Jalen Hurts your guy? I mean, I think he's a he's an NFL he's a starting quality quarterback. But then again, I don't watch enough Eagles football to really comment on that. I feel like there's just nothing or like the defense does. I don't feel like the defense is that great. And I mean, he's got Devonta Smith and, and Dallas Goddard. But that rushing game, his his starting running back Miles Sanders can never stay healthy, and it's basically a committee. I mean, they brought in Jordan Howard off the street, and he's playing for them now. Uh, Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell got in there as well. Kenneth Gainwell had a rushing touchdown in this game. Um, I just think Philly has a lot of holes they need to fill, and, and I think it starts by getting rid of Howie Roseman and their coach, Nick Sirianni, is a clown in my opinion. But Chargers win it, and I get 11 points there. Oh, uh, this one. This is technically a win, but also a loss. This is the same situation as the Cowboys-Vikings game from a week ago. Um, Cardinals 31-17 over the Niners. I had 10 on the Niners. and I'll, I'll let me explain myself before anyone goes crazy. I had 10 on the Cardinals up until Sunday morning. But when I found out Kyler Murray and, and DeAndre Hopkins weren't playing, I did anything. I would do the same thing. I did the same thing any one other logical NFL fan would do. Oh, it's Colt McCoy. The Niners aren't that bad of a team. They shouldn't blow this game. No, they managed to do so. James Conner had the game of his life, and other guys were able to step up in this absence. Colt McCoy did what he had to do. He didn't have to do anything special. He just had to not make mistakes, and he didn't. Didn't throw a pick. 22 of 26 in the air, 249 yards, and a touchdown. This game was all James Conner, who had 21 carries for 96 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And in the air, he had five catches for 77 yards and a touchdown. 40 fantasy points for you, for those of you keeping score back at home. This is a really bad look for this Niners team. Now, I know they're not special. They're 3-5. and five. I, 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 Their fans think they're Super Bowl contenders every year, which I just quite frankly don't understand. But you can't lose to a team that doesn't have Murray or Hopkins or Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds didn't play this game. You lost to James Conner, essentially. And, I mean, Colt McCoy, if Colt McCoy is the quarterback, I mean, boom, you eliminate, one, you eliminate one aspect. You make them throw the ball. 
you load the box. You make the Cardinals throw because Colt McCoy will make mistakes. He's a good backup, and he's due for one or two good wins per season. I'd love to have Colt McCoy be the backup of my team. But if you're a decent football team like San Fran, they're not bad. They even had George Kittle back in this game, who had six grabs for 101 yards and a touchdown, was the star of their offense. Jimmy G threw for 300 yards in this game. Their defense just stunk it up because they did not game plan properly for if Colt McCoy was going to be the quarterback, what do we do? And it cost them at home, too. Pretty embarrassing loss for this Niners team. Puts their season on ice, in my opinion. Uh, next, Chiefs 13, Packers 7. I had five on the Chiefs. I saw this coming, and I'm a little biased for it. Packers are 7-2, and two, Chiefs are 5-4. and four. I still don't think the Chiefs are any good. I mean, come on, against a Packers team like this, you only put up 13 points. But, man, can I just say Jordan Love looked bad, really bad. 19-34 in the air, 190 yards and touchdown a pick for the first three quarters of the game. And now, no, 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 I know. Don't come at me. I know what it's like to have a young quarterback working through things. I've done this like twice in the last five years with Mitch and now Justin. And I get that you need to have patience with him. But can't I make an observation and say he didn't look good? Packers fans thought this guy was going to be the Messiah from day one. He looked, he, he had a good touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. He looked like he actually picked some things up in the fourth. But man, for the first three quarters of this game, he looked bad. Both defenses look solid in this game. Kansas City did a real good job. I mean, no offense. They didn't really have much to do and take care of. But Green Bay's defense kept them in this game. And that was the X factor. It was Green Bay's defense isn't awful. And they kept Kansas City's offense in check. I mean, Mahomes... 20 of 37 in the air, 166 yards in the touchdown, nothing impressive. So I think you got to look at it and just from that perspective and kind of go from there. If you're the Packers, Rodgers is supposed to come back this week, and I think everything will be good. But that's definitely something to be nervous for in the future if you're a Packers fan. Next up. Sunday Night Football, I had 12 on the Rams, and I lost this game. 28-16 Titans. Man, what happened with the Rams? This makes sense, though. This is pretty typical of the NFL. Both teams are 7-2 now, which is crazy. They have the same record. Uh, yeah, Tennessee loses their basically their, their, their whole team in Derrick Henry, and they're going on the road to L.A. to play Sunday Night Football. Yeah, they're going to win this game by double digits. I should expect to know these things out of the NFL now. It, it just makes sense. Um that there wasn't really I mean they had a they made Matt Stafford look bad. You know? They scored a touchdown on defense. They got a pick six. They had back to back picks and in, in plays. Their defense really won this game for him. Um Tannehill, nineteen of twenty seven, hundred and forty three yards, a touchdown and a pick. Adrian Peterson got a touchdown. Tannehill got a touchdown with his legs on fourth down. There's touchdown pass to Swaim. You know, they just they did what they had to do. Now, the Rams, they didn't look good on offense. Daryl Henderson basically was was in existence. Stafford, 31 of 48 in the air, 294 yards, touchdown, two picks. I mean, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, they both had over 90 yards of receiving, but that wasn't even enough. And it was this defense, too. This was kind of a bad look on the Rams' defense, but I don't blame them. Because half of the touchdowns scored by Tennessee, the drives either, well, one of them was a defensive touchdown, so that's not the defense. Three touchdowns that were scored in the defense, one of those drives started in the red zone based on a pick that Stafford threw. So eliminate that one. I mean, technically this defense truly allowed 14 points in this game. 16-14 they'd win if Stafford doesn't make those bad decisions. I mean, it is what it is. Tennessee made made took advantage of those mistakes, and 
and they won a big road game on Sunday Night Football without Derrick Henry. I don't think the Titans are it, though, without him. They just got lucky this time around. And last but not least, uh, Monday Night Football. Oh, man, we're going to really go on a rant with this one. 29-27 Steelers over the Bears. I obviously have three on the Bears. I pick the Bears basically every week. They have a bye week this week, so, hey, that's uh, a win and a loss. Um, I guess we'll just get the elephant out of the room to start this one. Uh, yeah, the referees in this league are awful. Um, they miss holds on the Bears against the Bears every week. Uh, Justin Fields roughing the passer three times. They didn't call. And I, I, the taunting penalty is by far the worst. Uh, Cassius, for those of you who didn't watch, I mean, probably under a rock if you're an NFL fan. Uh, it was called up from the practice squad Monday night. Pre- uh, Cassius Marsh, probably the biggest play of the game, biggest sack. Bears are down three. Would have given them the ball back, and then they ended up scoring a go-ahead touchdown. But it would have forced Pittsburgh, instead of kicking that game-winning field goal, to score a touchdown on their last drive. You know, his little cool little karate kick, and his, his you know, just kind of staring the Steelers bench down a little. Didn't open his mouth, didn't say it or do anything. Yeah, that's 15 yards for taunting. I, this league, it, it's so frustrating and ridiculous. And I even, I'm seeing Steelers fans on social media say the Bears deserve to win this game. That says a lot, man. I'm just going to say that says a lot when you're seeing fans of, of the team that beat you saying, hey, you know what, you know what? we won, and I mean, we're going we're gonna to take it, a win's a win, but you guys probably should have won this game. I'll just get the Steelers stats out of the way first. Big Ben, 21 of 30 in the air, two touchdowns. No picks, 205 yards. And then uh, Najee Harris, 22 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown. And then Pat Fryermuth was the star receiver of the game. Five grabs, 43 yards, and two touchdowns. I will say there's a few things from the Bears that did annoy me. Um, first of all, I'm going to keep talking bad about Kendall Vildor until he's not on the team anymore. I mean, that's the guy who was targeted the most. I literally heard a stat on Monday night that quarterbacks have a 147 Point nine passing rating when throwing the ball to Kendall Vildor, so that's terrible. And um, the defense on that last drive, Robert Quinn jumped offside twice in the span of two plays. Like, you can't do that. You, you flat out cannot do that. And I get that people are like, oh, it's the refs. It was the refs. This game was the refs. But you also can't do that at the same token. And yeah, this O-line is going to get Justin Fields killed. I still firmly believe that. But speaking of Justin Fields, I really want to talk about it. Because, man, he looked good. That offense was flowing in the fourth quarter. Two touchdowns scored by the offense. There was that special teams touchdown, too, which was lucky. But, hey, you know what? Bears are, are due for making their own breaks at some point. And then there was a touchdown or a drive set up real nice for them on a Jakeem Grant fumble. He also needs to go. Uh, Justin, 17-29, a touchdown, a pick. Pick is a great play by Cam Hayward. Nothing you can really do there. 291 yards in the air. And he also had eight runs. He ran the ball eight times for 45 yards. Running offense really wasn't anything. Montgomery, 13 carries, 63 yards. Herbert got four carries for 13. And Mooney one carry for 15, but that was the touchdown rush in the Wildcat. They were they were doing a lot of the Wildcat, which which really um really interested me and really stood out. Uh, top receiver in terms of receptions was Cole Komet, six grabs, 87 yards, really coming into his own. Allen Robinson four grabs for 68, none bigger than that third and two conversion where Fields put it perfectly over his shoulder. I think the thing I loved the most about that play was he didn't have to run away. He didn't have to leave the pocket because the O-line wasn't blocked for him. He was able to stay in the pocket, stand tough, and make a throw. He's a tough guy. Dude's got a lot of grit. 
But I don't blame him for scrambling out of the pocket. I wouldn't want to get hit every play either. I get that I'm getting paid a lot of money to play football, but I want to stay healthy for as long as possible. And, yeah, uh, Darnell Mooney, three grabs, 47 yards, and a touchdown, arguably Justin's favorite target. And it's just a lot to love here with this offense. They look really good. I mean, yeah, there's some hiccups, but there are going to be through. There's going to be growing pains. And I think this game is kind of on the defense, too. They just look terrible. But I think, too, it's got to be brought to a point, sadly. And, I mean, I we don't get in this opportunity much. We scored the go-ahead touchdown with a minute 45 left. And I remember I was texting my dad the whole game. And I, I, I remember I was so excited. We scored. I was like, let's go. We scored. I think the first text I sent right after the celebration, I said, I think we gave them too much time. Because, I mean, in reality, they just needed a field goal. They had a timeout. It all, all would have taken was two big plays. And I think I said that. I mean, because obviously that's the first, every fan, that's probably what the first thought that your head goes to. But also our defense was just absolute garbage. So I didn't, I'm like one or two big plays that will put them right in field goal range. They have a timeout. If that, if, if that drive, if we wouldn't have gotten that penalty, Justin scores a touchdown, puts us up 27 to 23. I mean, yeah, they would have had a score touchdown. I think a minute 45, I think we would have won that game. I don't think they would have scored a touchdown on us. I really don't. But considering they just needed a field goal, I was like, yeah, we probably gave him too much time. But, I mean, you got to take the – in our situation, we don't get that opportunity often to take the lead on a play like that. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to take you're gonna take the, the touchdown as you can get it if you're the Bears. But really rough one. I mean, it was fun to watch an entertaining game. You know, you don't really get a Bears game this entertaining based on scoring and, and all that stuff. Real tough pill to swallow, real bad look in the NFL. Officiating has got to be better. You know what, it's a good thing that we're not trying to compete this year because if we were and this game cost us anything in playoff seating, I would be really irritated. This game, what difference would it have made? I mean, we still had good morale after the game. It's like, oh, man, Justin looked good. That offense looked flowing. I just think, I mean, who knows? This loss hopefully will lead to Nagy's departure eventually. I still think he should be fired. But... Yeah, it was good morale, though, for this one. Wish we could have won it, but looking ahead to the rest of the month, we do have a bye this week, which as a Bears fan, it's like the good and the bad thing. So you look forward to watching your team play every week, but it's also like, oh, thank God I don't got to have the Bears take hours to years off my life for three hours on a Sunday. Uh, but the following week, they will. Probably not as much, though, because I'm not expecting to beat a Baltimore team at home on Sunday the 21st. And then short week, we go to, to Detroit on Thanksgiving at 11.30 Central to play the Lions. And I want everyone to pick the Lions. I really do. Because that'll just make us look that much better. But at the same time, man, we really cannot, especially on Thanksgiving. I mean, prime time, it's 11.30, but that's what people do on Thanksgiving. They watch football all day. That's what I'm going to be doing. I think we should be fine based on the strides that the offense is making. Man, the Lions are just a really bad football team. They managed to lose this week, even in the bye week. But, yeah, that's coming up. And then... The rest of the way out, it's Arizona at home, which if there's a place to play Arizona, it's in the Midwest, I will say. That makes me, we're not going to win, but man, if we played that game in Arizona, we would get demolished. So that's at least a positive. Um, Bears-Packers, we go to Green Bay, Sunday Night Football on the 12th of December. Then the next week, we have Monday Night Football against the Vikings, so we get two primetime matchups against division rivals. Fun. And then we finish out the season... Um, the 26th in Seattle, the second at home against 
the Giants, which should be a winnable game, and then the Vikings on the road. Um, looking at the schedule, just trying to predict the rest of the way. Three and seven, I think we're losing to the Ravens. I say we beat the Lions to go to four and seven. We're losing to the Cardinals four and eight, losing to the Packers four and nine. I think we split the Vikings at the very least, so we're looking worst case scenario. So five and ten. I think we're going to beat the Giants, hopefully. But then again, the Giants are a team that can win any given week, which makes no sense. But I'm going to say we're going to beat them six and ten, and then I'll just say we lose to Seattle six and eleven. I think between Seattle and the Giants, I don't know which one we'll win and which one we'll lose. We'll split those two. And then, like I said, worst case scenario, we split the Vikings. Best case scenario, we, we went out. So at 6-7 win season is kind of what I'm feeling right now. Which is a shame because we don't have our first round pick next year. But no regrets because Justin Fields is the future of this franchise. That is our NFL Talk for the Week. Man, it's going to be a long podcast. Usually this is kind of what it ends. We're just getting started. Um, college football, let's recap the last week's slate and then we'll dive into the garbage top 25 college football rankings that they made um georgia number one georgia over missouri 43-6 ohio state barely skeets past nebraska 26-17 in lincoln uh an absolute amazing game unranked north carolina beats wake forest 58-55 absolute offensive thriller uh sam hartman from wake forest 25-51 in the air five passing touchdowns two picks about 400 yards passing. He had two receivers over 100 yards and both had two touchdowns. Believe it or not, Sam Howell, I mean, there was really nothing in this game. He only threw for one touchdown, only 26 passes. The star of the offense in this game was Ty Chandler, running back for North Carolina. 22 carries, 213 yards, four touchdowns. He really did it all. Sam Howell, though, with his legs, ran for over 100 yards on 21 carries for two touchdowns. This was a rushing attack for North Carolina. No defense to be had. Uh, Ole Miss over Liberty, 27-14 in the battle of probably the two top quarterback prospects in this draft. Malik Willis from Liberty, Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Malik Willis did not have a good game at all. This was 27-0 at one point. Willis, 16-25 in the air, three picks, no touchdowns. Not a good showing. Matt Corral, on the other hand, played a little better. 20 of 27, 324 yards, a touchdown, and no picks. Uh, Jerion Ely, Ole Miss running back, also a baseball player. Uh, can, really was the star of the game for the offense. 10 carries, 115 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, unranked Illinois finds beats another ranked opponent on the road. They beat 20th-ranked Minnesota 14-6. Uh, 25th-ranked Pitt over Duke 54-29. Cincinnati barely squeaks by Tulsa again 28-20. Notre Dame over Navy 34-6. 11th-ranked Oklahoma State goes to uh, West Virginia and takes care of business 24-3. Baylor loses to an unranked TCU team, 30-28, to 28, the, the 12th-ranked team in the country in Baylor. Now, TCU had lost Gary Patterson, their head coach of 20-plus years, earlier on in the week. So I, I said they're either going to come back one of two ways. They're either going to come back kind of like the way the uh, the Vegas Raiders did when and when Gruden got fired. They're either going to come back fired up and win a game that they have no business in winning, or they're going to fall flat on their face and look bad. TCU's 4-5 and five now. I believe they did not have Zach. Yeah, they didn't have uh, five-star running back Zach Evans in this game. Baylor just looked bad, and on the road, it showed. Uh, Texas A&M, Auburn, number 14-ranked A&M, 20-3 over Auburn. Nothing really going for Ole Miss, or Bo Nix in that Auburn offense. Uh, 15th-ranked BYU beats Idaho State, 59-14 as expected. This was a big one. Um, 21, 21st-ranked Wisconsin. I mean, I knew they were going to win, but they won by seven touchdowns, 52-3 to against Rutgers. And all of a sudden, Greg Shiana's program isn't looking as good as it did earlier on in the season. 
Uh, we'll talk briefly about this one. This was tough. Um, I saw this coming, though, and I said this in the pod last week. I wouldn't be shocked if this happens. Uh, unranked Purdue at home at Ross State Stadium, 40-20 to 20 on over my Michigan State Spartans. Peyton Thorne, uh, 20-30 in the air, 276 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And, and Kenneth Walker had a pretty good rushing game, 222 yards, 136, 222 carries. There we go. Speak. 136 yards and a rushing touchdown. This was just the defense. The defense showed up flat against a, a, a Purdue team with Aiden O'Connell, who they threw the ball 54 times in the quarter. Their, their passing is not the strong suit of this offense. 40 of 54 in the air, 536 yards and three touchdowns. And and we don't have a terrible passing defense. And this is Purdue is not a pass-heavy offense. They, they're, Aiden O'Connell is not a good quarterback. I'm going to say that right now. But we let him complete 40 passes and throw for over 500 yards on us. It's just a bad look overall. The offense put up 29 points. They did a decent job scoring. This was this is this game is all on the defense. Uh, Arkansas, unranked Arkansas beats Mississippi State 31-28 at home. Uh, big win for Sam Pittman's group. Uh, 19-3 NC State takes care of business at Florida State 28-14. Uh, next one, I want to talk about this. Bama at home, two-ranked Bama, 20-14 over LSU. Now, Bama's 8-1, but they're not looking like the same Bama that they normally do. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Bryce Young, 24-37 the year, 300 yards, two touchdowns. It's this running game. Straight up, Bryce Young, nine carries for negative 22 yards. The O-line is not helping him out in any favor. He's getting sacked a ton. Brian Robinson Jr., leading rusher, 13 carries, eight, 18 yards on the ground, one touchdown. I mean... In the air, they're good. Jameson Williams, 10 catches, 160 yards and a touchdown. John Mechie the third, nine catches, 73 yards and a touchdown. They can throw. They got a good quarterback and they got a good receiving corpse as always. And usually the rushing offense, they had Najee Harris last year. He was outstanding. Usually the rushing offense is, is pretty solid. They have nothing in ground game, and it's partially because they're run blocking, but I just don't think there's a talented runner on that team right now. And it shows. The defense, 14 points, isn't bad. Their offense just isn't scoring as much as they normally do. It's really starting to show. 2014, the final there. Unranked Tennessee beats 18th-ranked Tennessee on the road, 45-42. Big one there. That was a, that was a really fun game to watch. Uh, 22nd-ranked Iowa gets out of Northwestern barely with a victory, 17-12. Iowa's not a good football team. I'm going to continue saying this. You, I don't get how you beat a team like Northwestern who has no defense and can barely move the ball on offense. You only beat them by five. Uh, upset, unranked Boise State embarrasses 23rd-ranked Fresno State at home, 40-14. Uh, uh, Fourth-ranked Oregon beats Washington 26-16. Oregon's looking better and better every day, and that, and that every week, I should say. And that win against Ohio State's going to carry them into the playoff if they win out. Uh, Michigan over Indiana, 29-7. And then 24th-ranked San Diego State over Hawaii, 17-10. Uh, yeah, let's talk about these rankings because, oh man, I got pretty fired up when I was watching this. Um, let's go from the bottom. 25 Arkansas, 24 Utah, 23 UTSA, or 22 San Diego State, 21 Pitt. Iowa's somehow still in here at 20. Uh, Purdue is back in at 19. Wisconsin moves up to 18. Auburn 17. NC State 16. Ole Miss 15. BYU 14. Baylor moves down a spot to 13. Wake Forest moves down three spots to 12. AM's up three spots to 11. Up a spot to 10 is Oklahoma State. Notre Dame's back up to is back up to nine. Oklahoma did not play a game this past week, so they remain idle at spot eight. <sighs> Here's the controversy. Michigan State's number seven. Michigan is six. I don't get how. Two eight and one teams. Michigan State has had an advantage. They beat Michigan two weeks ago at home in East Lansing. How was Michigan ranked higher? I was watching it. They're like, oh, well, it's pretty simple. 
Uh, Michigan won. Michigan State didn't. Okay, with all due respect, Michigan played Indiana. And I get we're supposed to beat Purdue, but then again, that was not an easy task. Purdue plays top five teams really well. I just don't get how that – it's not going to mean much at the end of the day. It's just really irritating to look at now. Uh, Cincinnati's at five, undefeated. And then the top four is Oklahoma State – or no, Ohio State at four, Oregon at three, Bama two, Georgia one. Georgia's still the best team in the country. They're going to – I think they're going to run away and win this thing. They're, that defense is too good. Um. Let's talk about this week's slate of games. Uh, we got tomorrow night, Pittsburgh, North Carolina at Pitt. Pitt, I think they'll take this one, but it'll be a really good one. That North Carolina offense really showed out last week, and they posed to be a threat to these ranked teams. Friday night, number five, Cincinnati goes to a 2-7 and seven unranked South Florida team. They should take care of business, but since he's been playing not good teams to close games lately. Um, Saturday... Number two, Alabama, they're playing one and eight, New Mexico State. They're 51 and a half point favorites. I don't think I've ever seen the spread that big. Uh, Michigan, Penn State this week's at 11 a.m. at Penn State. Then we got our top 15 matchup in the Big 12. Number eight, Oklahoma travels to number 13, Baylor. That should be a fun one. Uh, 17th ranked Auburn plays Mississippi State. I would not be shocked if Mississippi State comes in here and does something. They arguably have one of, they have a top three quarterback in the SEC and Will Rogers. And that Auburn offense looked really bad last week against Texas a Only three points put up. Uh, Wisconsin Northwestern at Camp Randall. Uh, 24th-ranked Utah travels to Arizona, who got their first win of the year last week. Shout-out my boy Frank, who goes to U of A. They rushed the field after their 10-3 victory over Cal. Um, number one, Georgia goes to Tennessee at 230. That should be a good one. Tennessee's 5-4. They're unranked. They just beat Kentucky in a big game. I think Georgia will take care of business, but it should be interesting to see. Uh, ranked matchup in the Big Ten at the Shoe. Number 19, Purdue goes to number four, Ohio State. I'd be shaking in my boots if I'm Ohio State. Purdue plays top five teams really well. Two years ago, three years ago, 2018, I believe it was, they beat unranked. They, with Rondale Moore and company, they beat that number two ranked Ohio State team 49 to 20, knocking them out of playoff contention. It should be real interesting to see. Though. That was at Purdue. This one's at the shoe. Okay, wrapping over here. Um, then we got unranked Minnesota after a tough loss to bump them out of the rankings from U of I last week. They're going to number 20, Iowa. Uh, one in eight Southern Miss. They are going to be at 23, their 23rd ranked UTSA. Uh, Maryland traveling to number seven, Michigan State and East Lansing at three. Uh, top 15 matchup in the SEC, number 15, Ole Miss. Miss hosts number 11, Texas A&M. Uh, number nine, Notre Dame will be heading on the East Coast to a six and three Virginia team with a very talented quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. Uh, we got a uh, ranked matchup in the ACC. NC State's going to Wake Forest at 630. That should be good. 25th ranked Arkansas is heading to LSU. TCU, after their big win against Baylor last week, they're heading, they have a top 10 matchup date at Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Number third ranked Oregon. They have Washington State in the late window. And lastly, in the ranked games, 22 ranked San Diego State hosts a 7-2 Nevada squad. A lot of good games to watch this week. The schedule's really going to get fun these these next couple weeks in the college football world. And obviously, more and more controversy is going to come out with these rankings. Very much looking forward to it. Basketball. College basketball was back last night, even today. <clears throat> Sixth-ranked Michigan took down Buffalo, 88-76. to um, College basketball is kind of – it's hard to follow in, in the very early stage of things, the opening night, but – just a couple of things. Uh, Michigan State. I was. I watched some of that game. Obviously, uh, they lost eighty-seven to seventy-four against Kansas. Kansas looks really strong this year. 
Um, any other stunners? Ohio State almost lost to Akron, which would have been – they wanted a buzzer beater. That would have been crazy. Um, we had <clears throat> Duke and Kentucky, two top ten teams, square off last night in the in the other half of the Champions Classic with Michigan State and Kansas. Um, big takeaways from the Duke side. They got uh, Paolo Bonchero. Hopefully I'm saying that right. The freshman forward, he looked fantastic last night, as did Trevor Keels. They look like they got a fun little group there in Mike Krzyzewski's final season at Duke. And this is Coach K, or this is Coach Calipari on the other end. This is his oldest roster he's ever had. They used the transfer portal a lot this year, so it'll be really interesting to see how things work there. Uh, number one ranked Gonzaga, that, that'll be a team to watch. I, I have them early favorites to win the national championship. I mean, obviously they're number one, but the talent on their roster really speaks for itself. Uh, Drew Timmy, we saw a big time in the NCAA tournament last year, a junior at 6'10". He scored 11 points in their blowout win against Dixie State. A kid I'm really excited for, though, this is probably the freshman I look forward to watching the most, is uh, Chet Holmgren. He's a seven foot, hundred and ninety five pound. He's a just all stick and bones from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The dude's an absolute monster, and it should be fun to watch him throughout the season. So college basketball is back in a big way. Um, it's a little early stages though; it's not as fun now as it's going to get later on. But it's good to see sports are now in full swing. We lose a, we lose a, a form of entertainment in in baseball, but we get one back in college basketball. Let's talk about the Bulls. We're going to go basketball, NBA basketball now. We're wrapping up the show here. Uh, since we last met, they did drop two games last week to the Sixers, but they did on Monday. They beat the Brooklyn Nets, and they looked real good. We're 7-3 and three right now. We're currently in a real close game with Dallas late in the second quarter. Uh, this game against the Nets, DeRozan with 28. Every scorer in double digits. Jamonte Green, Vucevic, and Ball all with 11 points, and Levine with 24. Balanced scoring, this team finds a way to get it done. They held the Nets to under 95 points. They held James Harden to 4 of 11 shooting from the field. I mean, Kevin Durant had an amazing game, 38 points. You're, you're going to expect that out of KD. But everyone else was quiet on this team. And the Bulls, I mean, with KD accounting for over 30% of the points, well, they did a real good job locking up everyone else. Just make one man beat you. Kevin Durant's not going to beat you by himself, and they did a good job with that. They're currently down 46-39 to Dallas at home, and we'll see how this one ends. But up until our next week's meeting, well, quite a few games, actually, three. There's this one, not including the one going on right now. We are going to the West Coast this weekend. It'll be Bulls-Warriors Friday night on ESPN, Bulls-Clippers on Sunday night, and then NBA TV's got the Bulls and the Lakers on Monday. I'm really looking forward to see how the Bulls match up against these powerhouse teams. The Warriors are 9-1. and They look like the most dominant team in the league right now. We'll go to the Clippers, see them play Paul George and Kawhi, and then I don't know if LeBron will be back, but I really want to see them stick it to the Lakers. I really, really do. And then next Wednesday, they play at 9 p.m. against Portland, so we'll be talking on the pod before that game. So we have three games to recap after that. They lost to the Sixers. I mean, they're tough, but Philly's a good team, and you're going you're, you're gonna to lose to these good teams. You can't expect – it's like baseball. You can't expect to win every game. It's there's a lot of games in the season, and I just want to see this team progress. That win against Brooklyn meant everything. I would have rather, actually, I don't know this. This really doesn't make sense. I'd almost rather them beat Brooklyn once than beat the Sixers twice. Because Brooklyn's there. I mean, people are viewing them as top dogs. They view Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee as the top teams out east. So if we're able to beat one of those juggernauts in a game, I mean, man, that looks that makes us look really good. So be interesting to see how they do. Uh, they finish up against Dallas tonight and then when they head out west in the upcoming days. 
Uh, one more thing from the NBA, the Nikola Jokic situation, man, that's just crazy. I want to talk about that. Um, for those of you who haven't seen, there was a foul, Markeith Morris foul joke, he, or Nikola Jokic late in the game. He blindsided Morris from just, he knocked him down from the back. And there's like Twitter beef going on, you know, Markeith's tweeting the Nikola Jokic's big goon bodyguard brothers made a Twitter account there. They're all beefing on Twitter. I find it to be pretty interesting, pretty funny. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of a cool thing from the NBA. So Bulls are looking up and we'll see how that situation kind of progresses if, if Miami and Denver meet each other coming up. Um, so I don't I think he was I'm not sure if Carlton was fired at this point last week. So obviously the Hawks last week fired Jeremy Carlton, their head coach. And ever since then, no, this wasn't. This was over the weekend. So yes. Jeremy Jeremy Colleton fired as the coach of the Blackhawks after their 5-1 loss against the Jets on Friday. And Derek King has stepped into the interim tag. And ever since he has stepped in, they're 2-0. They beat the Predators uh, on Sunday in overtime. And they beat the Penguins last night in a shootout. Big game for Marc-Andre Fleury last night. He had 42 saves. Uh, three stars of the game. Seth Jones had a goal. Uh, Fleury had 42 saves for the Hawks as well. And what? I know we've only won three games. We're 3-9-2, so there's a lot of chipping away to, to be had here. But it's a good step in the right direction. I think this is the best win we've had all season, beating a really good Pittsburgh Penguins team. Kaihara had his first career goal, or first goal with the Hawks, and then Seth Jones' first goal with the Hawks as well in this one. Jeff Carter scored both for the Penguins. Then in the game against Nashville at home, got the ball rolling to start things out. Um, Kevin Lankinen was a nut for this one. He had 20 saves, uh, to bring it, had the game winner in overtime. Hagel scored in the second as well. So uh, Brandon Hagel's got four goals in the season. He looks real good. Taze is getting it on the action already. Uh, got Seth Jones. He's already got 11 assists. He looks real good. You know, it, it's good to see guys like the, the, we're making strides, putting things in the right direction. Um, this upcoming weekend on Friday, we play, we host, I, I'm going to say it. The worst team in the NHL at 110-1 with three points to their name in the Arizona Coyotes. And then that's it for the rest of this week. Um, at 9 o'clock next Wednesday, the same time the Bulls play the, the Blazers, the Hawks are also out west playing the Seattle Kraken. First time ever playing that franchise, so that'll be a fun one to watch as well. So Hawks trending up, Bulls trending up. Things are looking good for basketball and hockey in Chicago. This was a very action-packed show. I want to thank you all for tuning in. There's a lot of stuff to go watch this weekend. Bulls are out west. There's obviously NFL football to be watched. College football is a really fun and exciting slate this weekend. And just any way possible, go watch some sports. Have a good rest of your week. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace.